Hello, and welcome to another episode of Three Wise DMs, the podcast for three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long. Talk about all the things we do to try to make our games as good as they can be. Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Chris. Money talks, but it don't sing and dance and it don't walk. Long as I can have you here with me, well, I'd much rather be forever in blue jeans. Boom, 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 Yes. Hello, everyone. It's DM Dave, Rock and Roll DM. I think, Tony, you might know better than me. I don't know, because you may pay attention. That might be the first time that the greatest songwriter of ours or any generation, Mr. Neil Diamond, appeared on three wise DMs. I think that might be the case. Yes. I, I was think, a little stumped there for a while. I have to admit, I'm a little ashamed now that it was Neil Diamond and I was completely stumped. But uh, oh, dude, Forever in Blue Jeans. Oh, made even better during the weird Gap commercial that Will Ferrell did <laughs> as he impersonated Neil Diamond. <laughs> Classic. Oh, it was so good. So uh, that is an excellent segue, if I do say so myself, into today's episode because we are actually reaching back. We're in the way back machine. We're going all the way back to episode 19, uh, which was RPG economics, where we talked about what do players do with all of the gold that they amass in our adventures? Because as we kind of discussed in that episode, there's it's a little lackluster, especially in 5e, as to what they can do. You know, it's not the days of keeps and strongholds and armies. So what we're doing today is we, we kind of got into it in the, the DM screen episode, like two episodes ago, I think, right? Where we started to kind of riff a little bit on treasure, especially on the accounting of treasure. When we start handing it out and then we're moving along to our session prep for the next. And for me, I know I that kind of just goes out of my mind. I've given out what's what's found there and now it's up to the players. So that's where we're going to start to dive in for tonight. The, you know, the weird, the weird level of accounting that might have to be done or not done in your game. So I'll toss it out. What do you guys think? I got to be honest. If all my players could agree on how much money they all have, I may actually die from a heart attack from surprise at the table. Like right there. Like you need the defibrillator (laughs) on standby to save my life if that were to happen. Yeah. No, I think it totally true. Yeah, like party income inequality, right? Like if people don't always don't have the same amount there. But I think it's the importance of treasure is how much importance it has in your world. A lot of times, you know, you don't need to spend it. I've got I found a magic sword. I find a suit of armor. I find these things. I don't necessarily go and spend this money. So it doesn't necessarily have the same value that I need to track it so faithfully. Absolutely. But as we've kind of talked about, too, and the same thing, Chris, I'm, I'm kind of with you, too, especially in terms of gold and stuff outside of our, our current Iron Chapter campaign that Lenny's running us through uh, Lost Minds of Fandelver. So we're kind of a mercenary band and we're, in essence, attempting to amass enough gold to set up our own enterprise in the town of Fandolin. So for me as a player, I'm very focused on gold to the point where I'm role playing like. I want you to pay me for what we're about to do. Like how much gold is on there? You know, like I don't want to have to pay for dinner. How about you just invite me in? Because it's like the focus is on there. But 
Tony, I know you have uh, said on many occasions, well, not said, but you do in the campaigns that we've talked about, that you are planning on giving the players, and this goes back to the, the episode 19 again, you're giving the opportunity for players at some point to spend gold on magic items, on, you know, things for the story, whatever it might be. And so you kind of need to know this is how much gold they have to play with. That's absolutely correct, because if you have nothing really meaningful to do with that money that you've earned, it's just a number. It reminds me when I was telling Chris this story. When I was 12, I was sitting around with these other guys who were also played of Red Box. And then one guy's like, yeah, well, I've got 50,000 gold pieces. And this other kid's like, well, I've got 150,000 gold pieces. <laughs> and this other kid's like, well... I have half a million gold pieces. I'm 12 and I don't know anything, but I'm like, hmm, that doesn't sound right to me. It feels like the economy is cratering <laughs> in the Forgotten Realms or in Greyhawk right now. In the red box. Where gold we're has no value in this town. Yeah, you've literally destroyed the entire economy <laughs> of gold. How many dragons had to be mowed down for that one player to have half a million gold pieces? That that was one of my questions, but I have a question I want to throw back to two of you. Forbes actually calculated how much gold was in Smog's hoard. Does anyone want to, want to take a shot at that? Holy shit! Um, I I don't even know. And I, I my first question would be: Are they like, are they somehow pricing out the priceless artifact of the Arkenstone? I don't know, but like, dude, that's <laughs> mountains. So they factored in uh, the value of gold, U.S. dollars per ounce, how much volume was in there. And you got to guess, Chris, before I throw this out here. That 100 billion. 62 billion is what Smog was laying on. God. Like, is there even that much gold? Copper pieces. Like, it could have been, been just gold on top, right? Don't you sell those dwarves that was copper. They'd lose their, their shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it, like it just I don't know. The map of Middle Earth is not that big. Like, could there be that much ore to be mined? I don't know. <laughs> and if you, yeah, you found it, that's yeah, a, a lot of gold. But it's a good point because we've gotten into this now in a couple games. Uh, Chris, you brought it up. It's that you have the person. So it's like it's back in the old days, right? You had the mapper and you had the the guide and you had you had all these people that had a a, a task. And these days, a lot of parties, we have like the accountant, right? It's like the person that kind of carries all of the gold or a lot of the treasure. You know, maybe they're the ones that found the bag of holding. Maybe they're just the strongest character, whatever it might be. But a lot of times we say, okay, throw it in the bag and then we'll divvy it up later. But the problem is, is that not every player is now hearing that maybe at the table and they're taking their cut. And then when we make the cut, it's another cut. And I, I, I ask, for me, I I actually just kind of move along for the most part. But does that affect your game if all of a sudden people are getting multiple cuts of this same gold or treasure? Well, I mean, I, I think and I, I, wrote this, I wrote this down, actually. I was like, is given gems and other sellable items a recipe for this kind of thing is that things that need to be adjudicated later, things that have to go in a bag of holding that aren't just something that's quest focused that you're bringing from here to there, but giving somebody, okay, you've got a 
three rubies worth 50 gold pieces and a silver necklace worth 150 silver pieces and you bring you know you have to bring this back to town i think that maybe if you enjoy that part of it obviously but mm. that means now that there's something that isn't divvied up at the moment that the treasure is found where you get you know you find 100 gold pieces you divide that up five ways everybody gets 20 gold pieces boom everybody writes it down it makes it simple introducing that does could lead to uh, this kind of problem where there's things that have to be sold later, so someone has to carry them and keep accounting for them. Chris, that's that's actually a great point. I just uh, I was just talking, I was just thinking about that. I wrote it down, appraising, right? Like that old style. Like I remember when we were playing Pathfinder, you literally had an appraisal skill that yeah. you could become better at. And for me, I kind of dug the idea of that. To a point, because, yeah, like you're gathering these gems and these silver necklaces and you right now we just go shorthand. We go. So you find, uh, you know, 10 gems. They're each worth 50 gold pieces each as if we all have a loop, a jeweler's loop that we're pulling out. (laughs) And like we're like master appraisers. I wouldn't know what the fuck a diamond, a real diamond looks like or not. I, you could hand me a piece of quartz. I'd be like, well, that's pretty nice. This is worth 100 gold pieces. Exactly. So like, what the fuck do I know? You know, so like there there is something to that, you know, and and the type of game you want to play and the type of players you have for that. So as much as you want to put into that, you could keep adding. It's kind of like adding to the rules. Like back in the day. Yes, we had appraisal. I I had a gem cutter in the party as as their (laughs) trade. So if you want to go into town, take the loot, go down the thing, and then haggle with the party on each individual item one at a time. We did this crazy shit. And then they cut the gems and divide it up. But that becomes a whole thing in and of itself where we had an yeah. ass ton of time to play. Right, Tony. It, a lot of that goes back. Like, one, everything that we think we like in terms of making things more crunchy and stuff makes the – like, any rule. You can have a rule to deal with anything. But that then slows game time. You then have to account for that. And in the same way, we talk about a lot playing frequency. Like how often can you play? Because even when we're playing weekly in the Lost Minds campaign with the, the Iron Chapter, we're still having to get a lot done each time because sometimes you're exploring a cavern and it takes you all session. So you don't necessarily want to have to go back and role play out every single thing that you need to do in town, right? In terms right. of haggling and, and purchasing and shopping and stuff. No, I think, and a lot, I mean, if you're giving people something that's just money in potential, if it's gems that I'm, if it's rubies that I'm not going to be setting into a necklace because it looks really pretty and I want to give it to somebody, but if it's just <laughs> things that you have to go sell later to get the money, it's kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know. I think there definitely is value, and to your point, if you have the right party for it, I think you could really lean into it. But sometimes that's the kind of stuff where you're like, did we get five or six gems, and who, you know, who's who's keeping track of that stuff? So I was kind of traumatized by uh, playing Skyrim, where I'd walk into the shop with like a priceless goblet, and the bar and the bartender, or the shopkeep, whoever the merchant would be like, mm, it turns into a pawn shop. Uh, a pawn stars meme where they're like the best i could do is 23 gold i'm like this is encrusted with rubies and diamonds and like your speech <laughs> oh my god 23 sorry that's exactly what i started to think of tony i was like it's just, uh best i could do is 50 bucks and you're like this is george washington's false team <laughs> yeah i know man i gotta resell it though you know i mean yeah there's not really an aftermarket for that so i kind of want to pose is 100 gold pieces 
a sizable reward. Someone picks that up. I mean, like, what are we talking cool. about? Like, that's Smog's treasure. A party picks up 100 gold. What do you guys think? That is a very good question because it really depends on what the hell everything costs. I mean, I guess if you're running straight rules, 100 gold pieces is a pretty good reward. I mean, if it's for a singular person, for a party, eh. Right, we have to spend that at 100 is decent, but it depends on what the cost of everything is in your world, what it is that you have to purchase, right? I mean, a lot of times, D&D-wise, at least, you get your basic equipment, you're finding things out there. So the things you're trying to purchase are the more expensive items where you're going to need to accrue it over time, you know, to have enough. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's how much does it cost to live in that world? And that's one of the biggest problems is that, you live in the world as the the character, but you're living in the world in the in the guise of an adventurer, right? So this kind of like fantasized idea of this adventurer that's just out there and you know uh, fighting monsters and and getting treasure and stuff, and never actually having to necessarily live for any length of time to understand what you have and don't have, like. We make a joke of it a little bit. Um, I like the mechanic of it, but I, I think that they just threw it in there and then it, there's not enough there in the Shadow of the Dragon Queen adventure. Because when you guys agreed to join the Calaman militia, you know, what I've named the Beacons Bold in our in our game, you, in essence, you are hired on as members of the militia and you are hired on for a salary of five gold a week. That is paid every Monday, or I forget what Monday is in my in the in the Dragonlance campaign, but five gold. That gives you a sense of okay, you're kind of like a lieutenant in a militia, and you're making five gold a week. That's probably pretty good. So if you found a hundred gold, that's crazy. That would be like me finding like sixty grand just like in a wall somewhere. I would lose my mind, you know. I was going somewhere with that, and actually, so I wanted to use it, like, you know, with Smog, they use U.S. dollars, so I want to, you know, reconvert this back into something we can all count on, which is beer. Electrum. And they love that, too. I'll get you a pile of Electrum for your birthday. So a mug of beer is four copper pieces. So for one gold, you can get 25 beers. But I think that also lenses into it is that in some taverns, you get... A mug of ale and it's like a silver piece or something like that so maybe it's sort of a local economic model as to how much you know the cost of living in Blackcliff, say in the further is probably much richer than it is in some of the lower sections like willow pass or something like that where it's a little bit more rural yeah yeah, yeah like vogler right when you guys go to vogler it's a little shanty town right it's not going to be nearly the same level of commerce that calaman is right uh, so, yeah, that's a good point. And, like, how much do you guys go into? I I don't. I'm I, A lot of this I'm making up on the fly. I might have it in session notes, depending on how much of the town I'm building out, how, how often the players are going to be there. But are you building out some level of a price point of an economy, in essence? Because that is one way to make the gold accounting or the treasure accounting matter more because everything costs X dollars or more, right? Or X steel or gold or electrum or whatever it might be. So back in the day, uh, before I could just pick up my magic wand and never use spell components, you had to go out and buy that stuff, which was (laughs) also a 
a whole shopping trip. Let me go get some glow worms. Now, that was some exciting <laughs> shit, folks. Let me tell you. But also, I need one U leaf, guys. Hold on. Yeah, hang tight. And then uh, we had to repair our armor. So that was another optional rule we told, we threw in there. So you could start throwing all these things, but forget about taxes. Like I'm not the IRS. Like I'm not going to calculate what you guys have down to the coin because that's insane. And I don't think you should need to, but you could put all those things in there. I'm kind of more of the mind of giving the party like things they could tangibly buy that will give them agency, like potions that won't screw up the magic curve of the party. Yeah. Consumables, things like that. All right. But how about this though? Our worlds rarely have shops that have a really wide selection, right? Like there aren't Walmarts or Best Buys. So I have this money, right? But like a common shopping thing is somebody goes in and gets that one thing. And then everyone else is like, oh, do you have this? And they're like, oh, no, I don't have that in stock or something like that. Like there is a... Sometimes there's a difficulty in using gold. If I'm not giving you a magic sword, right, you have to then go find a vendor somewhere who has the magic sword that you want in one of these towns and haggle with them on a price. So, uh, you know, makes it more difficult. Now, I did start to play with that because I have said on many occasions that I am not a big fan of magic shops overall. I enjoyed the, uh, the idea of Elios's Sky Mall in our Storm King's Thunder campaign because and then I utilized it in the Curse of Strahd campaign as well uh, because that was something very, very different. That was like almost extra planar. Right. And by the time you're like 10th level, you, you're not going to a shop anymore because most of the time you just make shit. Right. Like Scott's uh, Scott's cleric Eva in the Dragonlance campaign can now create food and water. So, I mean, is it really necessary to go and get a meal at the inn for five silver? No, not at this point, right? I mean, unless we're just role-playing and it's fun, right? But I'm not a big fan of magic shops in that way because I want those things to matter more, right? Like the the really impressive magical items, especially in the worlds where, like, something like Kryn, where the cataclysm occurred – Magic is gone for the most part, aside from the Wizards of High Sorcery, right? So it should be very, very rare in that way. But I did start to play, and I threw it out there while you guys were still D&D poor, unfortunately. Uh, And at this point, it doesn't matter because now you've found stuff. But when you guys got to Calaman, I did have uh, something I thought of trying to do previously, which is make the armor and weapon smiths be able to make a plus one sword plus one battle axe something like that that would be considered plus one in terms of magic but it doesn't have any other properties but it costs like 500 gold more than a normal long sword right like i'm taking the idea from pathfinder of a masterwork weapon right so something like that that allows you an access to some magic without it being like Here's my magic shop with fucking shit that would like you could just take over any town if you have this magic shop. You know? No, I mean, and treasure should be meaningful, like to your point. Like, I mean, you make a good point. I mean, that's the stuff that you really remember. You're not like, I mean, the, the guys in Tony's campaign remember you had half a million gold. But usually you're like, it's this sword, right? Or this armor or this wand I found, this staff. There's something like that. 
things that are named, right? And they're yeah. not the kind of things you generally find in a thing. Maybe there's a traveling merchant who has some weird stuff and you can get things out of that, you know, and potions, obviously, that's more of general commerce. But uh, I don't know, I think those are better, especially with something like that, with the masterwork weapon, it's making it meaningful because it's 500 gold and now it's my masterwork weapon, right? So it's my character's sword. It has, it's a, you know, you could consider it a named sword. It's your named sword sort of kind of thing. You're building it yourself. Yeah, 1E had uh, weapons of quality, and they had, uh, I don't know if they called them the Masterworks exactly, but you could get these non-magical but plussed weapons, which in 5E would give you an advantage, obviously, but would have the detriment. You're fighting a werewolf, you're, you're SOL. Um, it's not silvered. I don't care if it's a yeah. Holy Avenger. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Well, uh, and preparing the the Lord of the Rings uh, campaign stuff, the magic and the magic items in their world, you actually have to build a treasure index. So beforehand, because they want to have some level of import on the items that you find, so you want to make sure that you're not just randomly having to come up with, oh, and it's a plus one sword here. It's, it has to have some sort of. It doesn't have, not everything has to have deep meaning, but everything has to be sort of accounted for beforehand. So then you can give it out when you need to, but it's still it retains that ability to be meaningful and story-focused versus just, oh, here's you know, 1,500 gold pieces. Like, imagining, like, you know, I like want to say some most of my characters have, like, 250 gold pieces. Like, it's just this huge sack that they carry around with them at all times. <laughs> like, yeah. The, um, yeah. But like Chris, plastic. it's a good point. It's a good point that gets back to the, the main issue at hand, which is... And I don't know if we like because none of us have found a really great way to deal with it fully. But when you're when the gold or whatever coinage, in essence, is found, things that aren't magic weapons or magic treasure in some fashion, but coinage. Right. And we know ways to make it matter because you can go purchase things that you want. You know, you might not be you can't purchase the Vorpal sword. But you're going to be able to purchase something, right? Something that's going to be meaningful to you. But what do we do when we're handing out the gold? Because I'm not when I'm running the game, I am not keeping track of because a lot of times I'm running the published stuff. Right. So, so a lot of the coinage is already there. So or, you know, I might roll it out if it's a if it's a random one you know, soldier. Right. <laughs> one, one gold piece. I might roll it out. But for the most part, the coinage is there. So if you find it. Okay, you got 40 gold, you got 150 gold, you got 237 silver. Somebody's accounting for that, but then that's where it kind of goes awry. And my question is, and I know Tony's answer somewhat, but how much does it really matter? Honestly, as long as you have a ballpark as the DM, then you're fine. You keep that within a range tolerance. I personally do not have the sanity to track what everyone's gold is. That seems like absolute shenanigans. Like no, nice. absolutely. I mean, that would be it's a area of focus that doesn't it gets you away from what you're doing there. Like, I think it's important. It's communication from, you know, between five different people. So you have to make sure it's good. And this will maybe stay away from gems and stuff like that to make it easily consumable. Oh, hey, here's 100 gold pieces. That's easy. Everybody can split it up. But you start to add in silver and copper pieces or electrum. Right. You know, or uh, platinum pieces or any of those. And I really have. I have given up on Electrum. I have given Electrum away. I don't use it anymore. (laughs) I don't. I don't. 
the dungeon crate stuff that I get or I was getting for a while, everything had electrum in it. They loved electrum pieces, so I was uh, very familiar. Pointless <laughs> currency. But I, I really think I, I think it's one of those things, you know, outside of some like massive like you know, outside of the player that says, I have two hundred thousand gold pieces, you know, like <laughs> you have fuck all. No, you don't, all right? It's like outside of that, like I I I wonder how much does it I don't think it really sways the game that much. Um, because I don't think they're it's gonna give them any kind of undue access to anything that they wouldn't be able to get because they're out adventuring anyway. And they're already going to be getting way more powerful stuff out adventuring than gold and silver. So what's nice about using your treasure, though, to buy things, air quote, if it is magic items. No, when I let them buy the Vorpal Sword, mm, only if I'm coming into characters that are sitting on 75 grand and they're annoyed they have nothing to do with their gold. Okay, mm. now I'm going to start, maybe there's time for a shop, I'm going to stack some items in there, you know, that look tasty to them. But for everybody else who's on the ground and finding like 200 gold at a time, I would put out some magic items that would let them fill in the gaps of their characters. Nothing nutty, uh, nothing super, nothing named, but like the Ring of Protection, the Stone of Good Luck, things that are good, things that are fun, a broom of flying, but nothing that's going to be like, holy shit, you just killed that you know, that Urukai with that, uh, for the sort of sharpness. Yeah. Or the, or the, uh, random ring of wishes in the nobles desk drawer. And you're like, well, there went my game. Who would sell a luck plate? What? <laughs> for what? <laughs> like it's a suspicious noble, but I mean, I think as long as it provides that sort of rush, right. That you get when you get treasure. So it has to have that. I mean, with treasure, I would lean more towards, having cords versus finding a couple on each, right? You're going to get a bigger rush at the end. Uh, magic items, you're going to get more of that feeling when you get treasure. You know, treasure itself shouldn't feel like accounting, right? Like it should be that uh, experience there. You need it, but in many ways, the DM's taking care of you. Like you, you, you don't really need it, need it, right? It, like, you know, so at many times, it's really just for the pleasure of it. So it should have some level of significance and fun to it. So, I mean, if you're in, like, more of a, you know, down-to-earth, low-level game, then your money does have some impact. Like, if you could purchase henchmen or you're purchasing superior-quality, non-magical items. I mean, but I got to tell you, the curve to get to plate mail is atrocious. Like, <laughs> I could say it's four silver for a, a mug of ale, but 1500 It's like buying a Ferrari. Yeah, no, Tony, that's actually a really good point. The uh, especially just on the plate mail alone. Again, the Dragonlance, just because I'm dealing with knights now, I have two of them, uh, and I know Tony wanted uh, for Sir William wanted plate mail for quite some time, and it's wildly over. It's 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 super priced, right? Now, I mean, there's arguments. Fine, not the point. The point being is like he's not going to amass fifteen hundred gold with the rest of the party unless everybody's chipping in so again it was something that you did fine when you guys overtook wheel watch since i had that be a former uh outpost for the knights of salamnia they would have had salamnic armor there so you were able to to get it right but yeah but in terms of like that's very old style play though right when you're talking about like getting henchmen uh strongholds building a keep stuff like that that it's generally the game has moved away from because we're much more into the story, the story of the adventure and the the characters. But 
I I would say that I think it's still there, evidenced by uh, maybe Matt Colville put out a whole 5e supplement, Strongholds and Followers, and then Kingdoms and Warfare, to kind of give a sense of that to the modern gaming world. But yeah, if you have that kind of stuff, then you're going to be out there wanting to get gold, and not just get gold, but keep gold coming, because shit costs money to upkeep, because I got to pay all my people at my keep. I have to build it. I have to repair it. I have to whatever, you know, pay taxes. If you get into that yeah, in the game, I don't know, do it in the comments. I yeah, don't know. real realism. But I think, I mean, you can lean into what a lot of video games like Skyrim and Diablo and those have done there where you kind of you're, you're leaning into that. And I just completely lost my train of thought there. So I'm just going to stop. No, <laughs> Skyrim is a perfect example, though, where it can go completely awry. I can't. Yes. T- we've all done it, right? You go and you have to get your house so that you can fill it with like wheels of cheese and like random. Did we all do that? that you can, like you can't sell, right? And like yes. I can go eat it, but I have to go back to my house and I'm across the continent right now. You know, that was my point. But yeah, no, now it was. That there's things to do like that. I have things to do for money. Like there, I have resources. Like I have to go out and buy this. I have to get henchmen. I have to do yes. that. If I have opportunities to do that, then money becomes a lot more meaningful because then I am really making sure I'm keeping track. I remember in uh, the the Iron Chapter, the Fandelver game, I've been waiting to get my longbow for like six sessions now. And another issue being is that a hundred gold pieces is cool. I'm in the middle of uh, the Underdark here. Like, there, I'm going to see if I can find a merchant here in one of these caverns. Like, it's about finding a, a magic item. I can use it right away. Finding money, I have to find some place to spend that money, right? Like, it doesn't have value in the Underdark it, yeah, until I take it out. It has value on the surface, right? Like, in, to those it's guys. It's literally the opposite of our world where it's like, in, in the fantasy world, it's delayed gratification to find a hoard of money because you're like, Cool, I have to go spend this somewhere now. I have to find a way to get it back, right? If it's a whole lot, right? Because there's always that. Like, if it's 2,000 gold people, where are you, you know, how are you carrying it? You have to get carts and horses. Oh, that's, yeah, forget about that, dude. Like, where, like, somebody rolls in. And, and yeah, (laughs) like, I really think it does. And I'm a, I don't go crazy with it. But, like, if you roll into a, a treasure hoard and then you just, like, dance by it saying oh yeah well you all you have that money i'm like it leaves a little to be desired because like i need to truck that out somehow you know like and and that's part of the part of it you know that or i need to i need to have magical ability to be Mm. able to put it somewhere in a bag of holding into a you know another little pocket dimension and then i can open it up later i mean that's cool but like Tell me how you're going to get this this dragon's hoard out of the cave. With a hoard of small size, there'd be all kinds of possible possibility of injury, right? You could slip. You could get smothered <laughs> underneath all this treasure. I was like, whatever yeah. happened to Jimmy? I don't know. He was over by the Arkenstone, didn't he? Did, don't did, give, did, yeah, don't give me the Scrooge McDuck shit where I can do a nosedive into the gold, dude. If I fall in there, I'm dead. Because the <laughs> weight alone will kill me, much less the suffocation rules. Yeah, the, the, pressure of all the gold yeah i mean what's the bludgeoning damage on that (laughs) i mean is it bludgeoning damage is there crushing damage what are we rolling with here family guy did a thing of that where he dove into the coins and he smashed his face (laughs) 
But if you're playing something um, with like slower advancement and like, and we're talking about henchmen, if any given henchman could kill any given person because they have a, I don't know, a weapon, then that also has more of a, a feel to it as more meaning where you just can't, it's not just about like how powerful the party is per se. They can just move through and handle whatever, but you need like a force. And it, 5e doesn't really deal with that. Like perhaps like basic and 1e kind of addressed, even second edition dealt yeah. with that, at least in the beginning levels where it was like harder to, at least back in the day to advance. But now it's like, well, let's use sidekick rules. How valuable are they? Unless I have a really cast cook. Well, it's also like it be- it becomes difficult because when we talk about encounter building, if you start adding in all kinds of hirelings who aren't literally just commoners, I mean, they're going to be skilled in some way. So they're going to be putting out damage and then the action economy goes and, and all of these things start to snowball where if we weren't just doing a couple one shots in the OSR stuff when we did ban- basic fantasy role play, I absolutely see us having you know amass some some wealth and then purchasing hirelings purchasing men in arms to come with us into these things because you need bodies you need people to to just attack first and you know because that makes a lot more sense in that system or in something like uh maybe even in call of cthulhu right that's what we needed henchmen damn it yeah i mean i I think if if you're doing something like something like that you're going to need multiple henchmen you're going to need that low action economy of basic fantasy because everybody's a die roll in there everyone you add is another die roll here another die roll there that takes up time so with stuff like 1e and basic fantasy it works nicely because it's a very short action economy in 5e you can have the things but even in you know we have a uh you know we have the sidekick but there's still we're still a relatively small party you start to increase that with if everybody had a sidekick or something like that and then all of a sudden it becomes sluggish because they still do take up a place in the the action economy well one way to do it in in is what we're doing in lost minds where we're our sidekick is just the goblin we befriended so like he'll just die in a fight with what we're going up against right so like because we just got to thunder tree uh, last session and found out that the green dragon was hiding there and we just said okay we'll be back later um, <laughs> much peace later out, right yeah and like this whole time we're just telling droop the goblin like yo droop just sit in the cart because like i don't need you dropping you know because that'll hurt too much <laughs> <laughs> he's more story focused than uh, truly combat focused he's there for morale we picked up Derek highwater as a sidekick yes Yes. With that said, as a little bit of an aside, since that's the first time we've really played with the sidekick rule yet, because I am rolling Darrett out as for anyone playing the Shadow of the Dragon Queen, I in essence took the stats for Levna Drakehorn in the back. One of the, So they give you like five sidekicks in the back of the adventure that you can use. They're also the ones that are uh, used in the Warriors of Kryn. They're like the the five adventurers that come with the, the system, you know, if you're just playing it out of the box. But INS has just turned her into Darrett, and then I've just been leveling him a little bit behind the party. We haven't used him a ton, but what, what have your thoughts been on that? Just as a little aside on sidekicks, just as we're talking about it. Because I've, in essence, just given it over to the party. I mean, I know Scott's been mainly running running him for right now, but what is what do you how do you guys feel about it being players in that game? 
it seems to run fine. If you're going to do something like that, uh, I would definitely hand the henchman to an experienced player because you know, you know how I feel about pets. You have somebody who's like, ah, and they're and like they're not sure on their what they could do or their options. And then they're also a spellcaster and they have an ability. And next thing you know, like, you know, 11 minutes have gone by and no, nobody's moved the board. Yeah. No, I think all I mean, everything sidekicks, familiars, uh, beast friends, everything is another spot at your table there. So they're awesome in small doses, but you just have to be careful. Something like there, it works well, nicely sad. because we don't have a whole lot of other ones in there. If there started to be a whole bunch of them, it wouldn't be nice. He has a nice connection to the story too, which makes him nice, which makes you root for him. He's not just some guy who you're like, oh, here, and you just toss like the sheet over, play this guy. Like he's somebody that, you know, that we've sort of been through uh, a bit of the campaign with. So we know him to some degree. That, and I, I've been, I have been making uh, an effort to not have him always be available. He'll he'll come and be able to join you at times, and then other times he can't. So it's not always there, you know. So it becomes more of a a very specific type of uh, encounter or session or something like that. No, it rolls nice. I mean, uh, honestly, because it has uh, with that particular character, he's got pretty straightforward abilities. If you're doing this with a spellcaster or something more involved, uh, now, now we're kind of lagging things down. Well, I think it's getting around that time now for some final thoughts. So, again, we have been kind of building off of our original uh, idea of the what do players do with all that gold to what do you do with all the gold that you're giving the players? Um, (laughs) And what the hell do you do with that? So what do you guys think? Well, when you're starting your campaign, give Treasure a thought in these terms, because otherwise, if they don't have – anything to do with the treasure that they're amassing all this gold then it's just a number on their sheet and then it's like you know i got uh you know a hundred gold i got a thousand gold i have ten thousand gold well yay that doesn't doesn't mean anything i can't buy anything with it i'm not going to do anything with it maybe i could bribe somebody maybe with it i like to have it built in so it can help them forge items uh, purchase lower level things to help fill in their character, get disposable magical items to help them feel like they have some agency and this amassing of treasure had meaning. I'd say, I mean, treasure should be important as important as it is in your world. So you have to, to your guys' point, you have to give them something to buy with it. You have to, if you want to do the sidekick things, henchmen stuff, you have to give them a place to be able to spend their money if you're going to give them money. And if you want to be even more meaningful, I think magic items and to Tony's point, uh, forging stuff, named items are where you go with because there's an immediate gratification and it's something that stays with you. It's not a dollar that I spent. It's what I've spent it on, right, is what you're always kind of shooting for there. So I think that's what you're really trying to give players is the feeling of that. There's the feeling of purchasing something. But it's when it shows up, right? When you order the thing on Amazon, you're not like, woo, like, you know, when you click the money and get it. But when it shows up, well, you really get that endorphin rush, right? Like, so I think that's what you're trying to give your players here with treasure and things like that. Yeah, I think my my super high overview is that in the end, the accounting of it on the player's side is probably not as important as maybe some people think. I don't know. We'd love to hear from you guys as to how important it's been in your games and things like that. But I really don't think it's going to matter as much because it's not going to be like Tony's friend with the 200,000 gold pieces. You know, I mean, that's going to be obvious to everyone. But there are ways to make that 
the accounting easier in some fashions. One is the old school way where you literally have the party treasurer. And that is an understood mechanic that the party has agreed to. They collect all the treasure and then they divvy it out, whether it's right then, whether it's at the end of a session, whether it's when they get back to town. But in the end, make the gold matter for the players in the sense of some some ways we've done it. One, the iron chapter method. Right. So we're mercenaries and we're mercenaries. The whole idea of the iron chapter is it's kind of like. Um, separate locals of this mercenary group, this large mercenary group, but you can open your own chapter. You can be local 673, right, Vandalin? <laughs> and for me as a player, I'm very focused on gold. Every time we get some, I'm adding it to the sheet, boom, boom, boom. So I know what we have because I'm thinking like that way for my character. So um, you can also do it like Tony's method where you have big stuff. That's out there that you might get a chance to get to, but it's going to cost you a lot. So you got to get out there and amass some gold. And then that's going to matter. You're going to be accounting for that because you're going to want to know. Now, that does go awry, as we saw in Storm Kings, and we've talked many times, where it's Tony's nightmare, where he thinks we have 20,000 gold and we come up saying we got 45,000. I don't know where. I don't know. (laughs) Good memories. Yeah. So. But for me, like in the end, I don't think it matters that much because most of the stuff that the players are going to care about are going to be the things that they're finding out on the adventures. The magical items, like Chris said, the named items, the items of lore, the artifacts of a of a bygone era. That's what they're really going to be looking for. And for me, I don't think gold should translate into that. But you could easily do something like we were talking about tonight with masterwork weapons or weapons of quality where you can offer them a level of quote unquote magic without it being an actual magical weapon that's like, you know, glam drink or something like that. But anyway, I think that's it for me. Uh, Guys, this has been great. Thank you very much. We'll see what we what we do. If We'll come back to you if we ever do find a really great way to find out about accounting of our uh, <laughs> uh obviously this question was our own that we went from uh from the wayback machine but please send in any questions you guys have to our website uh to all of our socials facebook instagram twitter uh you can reach us on all of those also please visit our affiliate link uh at fanroll dice uh they got a lot of great products over there. You can go to fanrolldice.com slash ref slash two eight seven one uh for that. And as we do each week, we are gonna let our dear old erstwhile leader take us out. All right. Hey, it was a great time talking to you guys about all this, you know, fake money. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Electrum is dumb. Agreed. It's an electric belt buckle. <laughs> <laughs> Electrum was for it's for it's, it's for jewelry, and that's it, right? Electrum doesn't belong in your uh, in your gold pa- in your gold. Get pa- it out of my bag. Maybe that's something else we should have talked about. Will you let will you let players counterfeit money? Huh? Ah. Fake money. Another time. Yeah, that's another time. 
right. Thank you all for listening to this latest episode of Three Wise DMs. You can catch all of our podcasts and our written content, the post we post every week, on threewisedms.com. And there are there are blog posts. Uh, there's more blog posts than episodes, actually. So you might you'll find a ton of information there. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're very active in both those places. You can email us at threewisedms at gmail.com. And in all those places, we would love to hear from you. Please drop us a line. Let us know what kind of things you'd like to hear us cover. And if you're listening to us on the podcast platforms, smash that five-star rating button. We could really use it. The, the algorithm does not care if we're doing a good job unless you smash that five-star. So please hit that. Let other players know that, that this is a podcast they should be listening to. That's all for this week. We'll see you next time for Three Wise DMs. Three Wise DMs.